What's going on, everyone? This is Uchain Joku, and welcome to Sneaky Principle Podcast. It is, um, what is this, Sunday night, October 30th, the day before Halloween, and um, we're here for our weekly, you know, um, gathering, um, if you want to call it that. Um, but uh, I'm excited to be here as usual, and uh, I hope that um, this evening will be one that's informative and eye-opening and at minimum you know we're going to be looking at what's happening in the world of education and wherever else that you may want to go in this conversation that we're having this evening right now i'm just making sure that i'm setting up here we go um let me uh okay making sure that all the spaces are working and as usual, YouTube is giving me a hard time. Here we go, events. Um, and let me see here. There's a way for me to do this. My Your events. Watch live. Bam. I finally figured out how to see. So listen, um, Facebook. I, did I say YouTube? No. Facebook, Meta. Y'all just created all these different layers of making things hard to find. Before, I would just go live. And it would plop itself right there on my main page in um, in Facebook. But now I have to go to the menu option, look for events, and look for my events, and it pops up. But nonetheless, we're here right now. And um, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, one of the things I'm learning um, in my seasoned middle age, because I'm not going to say that I'm I'm old. I'm just, you know, I'm in my 40s, you know. I'm not one of those people who believes that the uh, 40s is the new 30s. No, I'm in my 40s, you know, and I appreciate every second, every minute, hour, day, month, year, decade that I've been blessed to be here. And one of the things I'm learning um, now is to um, breathe, to really breathe. Um, and when I mean breathe, I'm not talking about just breathing as though you are actually breathing like we do normally. But really, to take a breath, take intentional breaths, you know, because we all always find ourselves in positions where we get stressed, and sometimes it might be unnecessarily. Sometimes we ask ourselves, why is this happening at this moment in time, whatever that thing may be, and then we feel like we have to attack it. We have to just put all of our strength and energy and attention to that thing. When most of the time, all we need to do or what's really required of us is to be still. And when you're still, when you're truly still, like you just stop everything and just stay still, the one thing guaranteed that you're doing uninterrupted is breathing. Your mind might still be running. You know, you might still be all over the place that you're thinking and your brain is all over the place. But however, if you are still if you just stop and just stay still in in the worst of circumstances, in the most stressful of moments, you just stay still. Then you breathe, but not just breathe. You recognize that you're breathing. You fall into your breath. You really sit there and feel the expansion of your chest, you know, and the contraction. And you take in breaths. <sighs> Because when you're doing that, your brain 
is unable to focus on that thing that is stressing you, that is taking over. Your brain just can't do it. Try it. When you're breathing and you're actually paying attention, you're being intentional, you're putting all your attention to your breath, what happens in that moment is this thing that's incredible. Whatever the thing that's bothering you or the thing that's, that's frustrating you, that thing for that moment ceases to exist, which allows your body to center, find equilibrium, mind, body, spirit. And then when you address that thing again or you face it again after your breaths, you find yourself realizing that that thing wasn't as serious as it was, you know, five breaths ago or 10 breaths ago or five minutes or 10 minutes, 20 minutes ago. What happens is usually when things happen, we get frustrated and the anxiety kicks in and we start running around and, and we lose control. You know, in the midst of trying to get control, we truly lose control. But when you're breathing, you have to give up control. And in doing so, guess what happens? You gain, you secure, you are in control. Because you control the one thing that you know you can control, your attention. And, who, and what are you giving your attention to when you're breathing? Are you breathing intentionally? You're taking those... Because I'm sorry, you you never breathe like that when you just on a regular. Think about it. When was the last time you walked around going? <sighs> it's impossible. Because when you breathe like that, what happens? Your intention becomes super focused on that and taking those breaths, what gives your brain a break from whatever's stressing you. And why am I talking about that? Because. Over the past couple of years, that's that's a that's a this is a space that I I've, I've been um how do I put this unintentionally learning about. I found myself in these spaces where I'm around people who are really about mindfulness and they're really about self care, and the one common thing they talk about is uh, when it comes to mindfulness is meditating. Then the thing they talk about meditating has to do with breathing. And in the in taking those breaths, you know, at least for me, I come to the, to the realization how powerful that thing is. I'm saying this because I'm telling you, as I was right there and trying to figure out what's going on with Facebook, I fight I felt my back starting to tense, my chest starting to get heavy because in my mind I was thinking to myself, damn, again. For the umph time of doing this podcast, this newest rendition of the podcast, without the intro, without the music, and all those things that gives me a chance to to play with things, you know. If you guys remember, prior to this latest iteration, when I did the podcast, you would there was always the countdown in the beginning, five time, five minutes, sometimes ten minutes, where what you don't know what I was doing there was trying to make sure everything was working, and then it always worked the way I wanted it to work. But at least I. I, I was able to play with things because one thing you can, uh, so when you go when you're doing a podcast you can um especially when you do what I'm doing well, let me see if I can turn this camera to the side on when you do what I'm doing which is I'm streaming on multiple platforms right now I am on uh, Twitter I'm on Facebook I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on um, YouTube all at the same time which means that I can't make sure it's there's no way for me to make sure it's, it's working until I go live. So before what I would do, I would go live, 
with the intention, you know, and again, you can see, let me bring this camera down a little bit. You can see the multiple, like the, the screen right here, that's Twitter, that's Facebook, <laughs> that's LinkedIn, and that's YouTube. And this Ecamm, which is the software that I use for um, managing this whole entire system. So the thing is, um, in the past, I would go live ahead of time. I'll just go live ahead of time and do the countdown music and play with things. But then I realized I was wasting time, you know, and I was allowing myself to, to fall into more anxiety because when things didn't work, then I then I had a countdown and I was like, oh, snap, I only have um, two minutes left. I still can't figure this thing out. And then somebody gave me some advice and said, hey, just go. Don't wait, just go. Because when you do all that, people are waiting for you and they might not want to stay. They might just be like, yo, this is taking forever and there's other competing priorities, especially I go at 10 o'clock at night. People want to go to bed or whatever the case may be. They might be tired. So what I so what I do now is I just go. If it come, if I if I walk into it falling apart or stumbling into the podcast, it's fine. I'm fine with that. Because when that's happening, what I do, even if I'm talking to you right now, I'm asking myself, how are you breathing? I'm feeling my breath. And in doing that, I can't focus on the stress. And this 10 p.m., I'd like to go over the news, what's happening, what's happening. But right now, I'm being moved by the spirit. You know, those of you who are familiar with the black church or African spiritual tra traditions or Caribbean tra traditions, you know, when the spirit moves, you, you go with it. And right now, especially with it being, being Sunday and me knowing there's a lot of you out there right now. Those of you who are watching right now, I know there's at least 50% of, no, I'll say 80% of you, 80% of you. If not 80%, I'm sorry, if not 80% of people who are watching, 80% of your being, there's people out there right now that 80% of your being is already stressed out about what's going to happen tomorrow. Tell me I'm lying. You think about your emails. I'm sure you, I mean, you're probably going through your emails. Or if you tell yourself, I don't check my emails on Sundays. But you do think about it because you know first thing Monday morning, you look at your emails. Or this difficult conversation that you have to have this week, whether it's with your, and again, I'm, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking in general terms, but I'm also speaking specifically to my family of people. And my family of people are educators. Because I understand that space. 17 years <clears throat> working in schools. I understand that space. You know, Sunday night, and all of a sudden you get to Sunday night. I, I've heard jitters. I've heard the Sunday, the Sunday night creepers. I, you know, whatever you want to call it, where you start, your blood pressure starts to go up. You start thinking, you know, or, or you told yourself, you know what, this weekend, I just want to have some time to myself, but now it's Sunday night. And what are you doing right now? You got your laptop out notepad or whatever you use you know maybe you're using stone and a chisel maybe you're, you're that old school and you're going over your lesson plan for tomorrow you're preparing it you know because because it's not because it's not just about having that lesson plan for your students to make sure that you are on point and making sure you're delivering the best lesson possible for your kids there's also understanding that you know that um that a-hole of an ap or a-hole of a principal might be walking to your classroom and asking for that lesson plan 
and it has to be a certain way, you know, or whatever the case may be. And you, you, you just like, listen, I do, I'm just not trying to be the one to be caught out there like that. And my, my brothers and sisters who are administrators, APs and principals, please forgive me for my language. <clears throat> do understand. <clears throat> I have to, I have to make this as real as possible because don't forget, I was, a, I was an AP. I was a principal as well for two, two, two schools in New York City, the middle school and the high school. So I do understand what it feels. I do understand that's at the table, you know. You know, as an administrator, I'll stress this as well, because yeah, we're gonna come to that classroom for that lesson plan, or whatever the case may be. But even those of you who are administrators right now, Sunday night, you're thinking about all the things that that you have to face in the week as well. Some of you have PPOs. For those of you who are not in New York City, the PPO, the um, the Principal Performance Observation, or now MPPR. Um, I was, it's funny how after I left the DOE, a lot of acronyms are becoming harder for me to remember because they're not, they're not front of mind anymore. But, um, but, uh, PPP, the PPO or MP, the MPPR, which is a rubric that upon which the PPO, which is, which is, um, it's a principal observation. Superintendent comes in, you know, gives you 24 hours typically come in and they walk with you for half a day, some cases a full day and they go over your whole entire school and give you feedback. It's pretty much, like as it says, a principal performance observation. And some of you are going through that right now. This is the season. This is the season, you know, to get your first PPO, you know. You know, a lot of superintendents are trying to get that in before Thanksgiving, get out of the way. Then in the spring, you have your second one. But also a lot of teachers are starting to get to that in that point to where they have the observations coming up, whether it's if if whether it's the uh, informal or formal. And um, and I'm hoping that, you know, those teachers out there, your, your principals have given you at least some kind of feedback prior to your, you know, your your informals or at least you've all been informally observed by now, you know. But again, all and I say that because if, if it's not done early enough frequently enough the feedback is not it's not really valuable i'll be honest with you it's not it becomes more of a compliance thing but that's a whole nother conversation but however i will say this all these different things you know uh parent issues there's a fight on last week somebody's coming from the from the from the from central somebody's coming from the district all these assignments november 1st is coming around the corner you're hoping you have enough money i'm talking specifically those people who are, who are here in new york city all these issues it builds up stress and anxiety in your bodies. And I know about that. I know about that deeply because I had that stress and anxiety built up on my body um, for, um, what was that? Nine years. You know, I came in, I came into the system as a, as a dean. And um, as a dean, I found myself um, always, always like just on 24 hours a day. Then and when I became an assistant principal, it just intensified. So I left with, I lived with stress all the time because all I thought about was work. My relationships didn't matter. My family didn't matter. I was so focused on making sure I was the best at what I did. And I was just everywhere. And how did I impact my body? Um, yeah, when I woke up and I was 300, I was 325 pounds. Actually, I, I went, I actually went higher than that. I just don't like to say it, but I but I'll just step uh, three hundred twenty five pounds. Some of you might say three hundred twenty five pounds. That's not too bad. Yeah, at five foot nine, you know, 
you know, um, not a good look, not a good look. You know, my body was, was, was jacked up health wise. I was, I was pre-diabetic. High blood pressure is something that my, I've always dealt with, but it was out of whack. I remember one time I went to the, one time I went to, um, for, um, to the doctors because, um, I was having migraines, really, really bad migraines. And, um, and, uh, I went there and, uh, I knew it was my blood pressure because that's how it, it affected my body. When my, when my, when I have really bad headaches I, 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 and I start to creep into the migraine space, my, it's my blood pressure. And that's not a, a typical thing. It hasn't been, been, really been a typical thing for a number of years now, but back then it was. And I remember I walked in to see my doctor and at the time I had a doctor in Mount Vernon, African cat, um, Nigerian, just like me. I went and I went, I remember I went to go see him. And the one thing I hated about this, his practice, I do love to support, you know, people in my community, but I hated one thing about his practice. You get there and you be there waiting for so freaking long. You just be sitting there waiting, especially after a long day, but all my appointments were always usually after work. So I'd be sitting there for like, I mean, there were times where I sat there for like two or three hours and I just had my laptop <laughs> doing work. You know, that was me. But I remember this one day, and it was a few, one of the few times he saw me pretty quickly, you know, and I walked in there and, you know, you know, the process, the first thing, you know, the, the nurse does is she, she does your vitals, right? The nurse did my vitals and, and it's funny because back then I was like, I was over 325 and the cuffs they had to use for me were like the largest cuffs were too small because the problem was that, that, um, not only was I big, like weight wise, like I was, I, I was carrying a lot of body fat, but the thing was, I had a very, um, non-typical body frame, comp body competition. I carried a lot of muscle because of my athletic days playing football and, and I got into powerlifting. So I was like a big ball of muscle wrapped with fat. <laughs> so I remember she was trying to put the cuff on me, trying to get my blood pressure. It wouldn't work. And they finally had to find, like, I don't know where they found this cuff. It was huge, but it fit my arm well. She did my blood pressure. Then the readings were all off, you know, and, and, and you know something is wrong when they, they do it and they, they give that, they do that look like, hmm, let's do that one more time. Hmm. She pulled it out, emptied the air, the, the cuff, put it back on to do, check my blood pressure. She's like, I, I, I'll be right back. She dipped. I was sitting there for like maybe a good five, 10 minutes. Doctor came in and he was like, Hey, my friend, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing good, doc. He's like, ah, so let me, let me check your blood pressure. The doctor's saying that she's not getting the proper reading. I was like, okay. And I'm sitting there thinking like, bro, I got to go. I'm, I've been up since Matt early. I got to go. So he puts the cuff on me. He, he then, um, takes the reading. And he looks at me. He says to me, um, Mr. Njoku, how did you get here today? And I was like, uh, I drove. He's like, you drove, huh? And now I'm getting, I'm getting annoyed, but I'm like, okay, dude, what's, what's the issue here? He tells me, my friend, you know, when, when, <laughs> listen, when African, when Africans tell you, when, when African elders say to you, my friend, you know, it's going to be something bad. You know, when my father, when my father would say, my friend, oh, there was, there was, there was a smackdown coming. My mother never used my friend, but when she says my friend, you know, the next time her mouth is going to be you getting cussed out. And his doctor said, my friend, I was like, okay, here we go. He said, 
that your blood pressure is so high I, that for me to even leave, let you leave out of leave this clinic, I would have to have you sign a, <clears throat> sign a release, you know, and and releasing my my me and my my practice of all responsibilities if anything happens to you when you walk out of here. And I was like, hold on. And I was like, this dude. And it's funny because I wasn't hearing him. I was in my in my physical whatever whatever. I wasn't hearing him. And uh and I remember just being so pissed and I walked out of there and the whole time I had it my head is tr- throbbing and everything else. And I left out of that place. And I think it was the last time I saw him. I'll be honest with you. I think it was the last time I saw him. Because at that point, I was like, yeah, I'm going to find me another doctor. But the whole entire time, the level of stress I was carrying in my body, in my mind, the level of work and everything else, and then issues at home with family and all these things happening at the same time. You know, I can tell you this. The one thing I was you know, I was not doing was standing still. And this is how this, is how this whole entire thing started off. You know, look at this. Facebook, you see what you did to me? You had me talking about how I had to breathe so I wouldn't get stressed because I couldn't figure out how, why, why the video wasn't playing. Now it's playing. And it's funny because now Twitter is, Twitter is not, it's, it's not, it's saying the broadcast is not available. So I don't know what's going on with Twitter, but hey, it's all good. But um, I just, but, um, but yeah. And I remember just, I, I left, I left the, uh, the, the facility. Um, thank God, a few, uh, um, thank God, um, I, I know not to stretch the story out. Thank God, uh, about, I think about two weeks later, I got into a car accident. And after I got into that car accident, I had to go see a doctor and that a new doctor told me, and this doctor said to me, flat out, they didn't know me. First time meeting me, told me, you know, are you trying to kill yourself? And I said to myself, what are you talking about? You trying to kill yourself? Hey, he said to me, are you trying to kill yourself? I said, what? He's like, you're too fat. <laughs> There's nothing more po- more powerful or impressive of a doctor when a doctor is, is, has the, the, the cojones to say to you, you're, you're fat. This doctor, this little, and uh, this little, I think it was either Pakistani or Indian, and maybe he might be from Sri Lanka, I don't know, but, but I, I'm very confident he was probably, that he was Indian, probably Punjabi. Um, I've had, I have friends, you know, from my college days, so I was like, something about him was very familiar, and he said to me, are you trying to kill yourself? And he said, he said, you're fat. He said, he said, you're too fat. So he, you know, and I was looking at him, I was like, okay. And it's funny because I'm getting mad now. I'm like, yo, this dude is insulting me. I just got it for the first time. I, I was in a car accident. But um, him saying that, I don't know why it stuck in my head. But it was the first time somebody had actually called me fat. You know? And um, and it allowed me to have open conversations with people, my family, my brother, and, and other people. And we started talking about, you know, you know, trying to get healthy. And I just came to the realization that I was just so stressed. I was stress eating. I wasn't sleeping well. I was doing all the wrong things. And and now fast forward, this was this was uh two thousand hmm. This was two thousand fifteen. So thirteen years was it fifteen? Yeah. Thirteen years ago? No? My math is all wrong. Fifteen seven years seven years ago. Seven years. Yes, about seven years ago. And thank God, right now I'm a, I'm like maybe about 215 pounds. You know, I had I had to make some drastic choices and decisions to get myself healthy. But beyond those things, I had to do physically. I had to find my center. 
and and not live in stress. You know, so somebody's listening to this, you know, and maybe I just ate up a, ha- a good half an hour of, of my time looking over news stories and stuff like that, talking about this. But it's very important because I'm saying this out of love. You know, you got to take care of yourself. You cannot let small things overwhelm you. You cannot let the job, you know, take over. You have to find balance. You have to find focus. You have to find that space to breathe and take care of yourself. Because at the end of the day, one thing I learned that if something happens to you, it doesn't matter whether you're a teacher, you're a dean, you're your assistant principal, you're a principal, you're a superintendent, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a police officer, you're the president of the United States. If something happens to you and you're no longer with us, there is your replacement is not is not far behind you. Literally, your replacement is literally behind you. And what will happen is in the first day, hours, days, and maybe weeks, people will deeply mourn you. I won't even say a week. I would say maybe a week and a half. People will deeply mourn you. Did my name, if you're in the school, did my name a hallway after you? Did my give you, did my, you know, dedicate a water fountain? I don't know. Or maybe a classroom, maybe the auditorium. I, I don't know. Or maybe they might just have, you know, people show at your at your memorial service, whatever the case is. But do know your position will be filled. And they will say, oh, my God, whoever is taking over this position has big shoes to fill. And that's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's never big shoes to fill. It never is. Because what's going to happen, that person is going to come in and ride the, the, the wave, the ebbs and flow of the waves of emotions that, that surrounds them and before you know it it's, things will be normalized and you'll be gone and the world will keep going so it's very very important that you learn to be still in, in the face of stress and in, in, in the face of emotional t- turmoil you have to learn to be still and um, this is this is my, my greatest advice to you Right now, if you're listening, whoever this message is for, learn to be still. You know, very, very important. So, let's move. Let's move on. Let's move on. So, um, right now I've turned on the line. So, tinyurl.com/slash/calltsp. If you want to call in and have a conversation with me, you're welcome to. Um, if you call in, you always listen. I, 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 I just ask. We try to keep it within the realm of education. But I listen tonight. I'm open to anything. Um, as long as we learn, we learn something from it and we grow from it. Um, so again, if you dial, if you if you um, type in um, tiny, t i t i n y u r l dot com slash call c a L L T S P the sneaker principal T S P. If you if you type that in, my my green room rings. I, I see you in there. If I pull you in and and you're just sitting there, um, just know that you are in. It's like a green room. So all, so you just wait there, and I'll pull you into the conversation as soon as possible. And um, one thing I haven't done yet is pull multiple people into a conversation. So um, I know I can go as, as many as four people, but again, you know. I know this is a growing show, so a lot of people are just opting to just listen, and I'm fine with that. You know, in time, I invite you to join me in, in these conversations. Um, and um, so, with that being said, let me go ahead and pull up, pull up, pull up education this week, this past week, 
Right now the time is 9.41. So, um, no, it's not 9.41. What's my, why does my phone do that? It is actually 10.28 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On my phone here, it's, it actually says um, 9.41. And I wonder why it does that. I never understood why it does why it gives me a different time on my phone, but that's okay. So um, what's going on in, in the news? And this is the thing. I'll be honest with you. Today, the day before Halloween, went to um to the Brooklyn to the Brooklyn to the Bronx Zoo with uh, with the family. Um, my daughter was a princess. She's princess everything. She's going through that princess phase. She's four years old, and I'm, I don't think it's a phase. I think she really believes in all her mind and power, and I believe it too that she is a princess, daddy's little princess, right? But she's the listen. She's your princess too. That's how she moves. She tells everybody, "I'm I'm the princess." And um, then my son was Cat Boy. If you're if you're a fan of um, uh, what is it called? Um, mask, PJ Mask, PJ Mask, PJ Mask, PJ Mask. If you're a parent and you have a children under the age of five, you know that song. Probably under the age of six, you know that song. Great show. Um, so my son was the character Cat Boy. So everybody knew he was Cat Boy. He was zipping, zipping, zapping all through through the zoo. Everybody know I'm cat boy, so so that was fun. So it was a long day, you know, a family and um, a great day. But um, usually I try to like I see what's in the news. I didn't get to do that today, so you're seeing this stuff with me live here and now. And what this is is this is all the things that Apple News is prioritizing from all from the various media outlets is, is tied into. So um, so I. I go through this. I try to find things that are interesting to me. There's quite a few things, but I'm just like, okay, I don't really care about this. Or I might look at it because I'm like, I should know. I should be in, in the know as an educator, and even now as as a um, an executive within a ed tech company, because again, the business of education is is, is political. It's very political, and if you don't know what's happening within the realm, then you are lost. You know, even even if you're a classroom teacher. You got to pay attention to what's happening in the news because it can have a direct impact on your job and how your job runs and what you teach and how you teach it. But at the end of the day, remember this, especially if you're working in a, in a public school setting. Um, I think I said this last Sunday, this notion that parents have control about what happens in schools, it's, it's, it's a falsehood. You know, it's not right, but it's a falsehood. But at the end of the day, the people who have control are the people who control our tax dollars. We give our money, we pay taxes to into the government, and the government makes those decisions for us through elected elected officials. So, you know, how much money goes into the schools? We have no control over that. You know, it's all done by by those in political power. So, um, but so it's good to know what they're doing and what's happening, so we can adjust accordingly. Um, the first one here says Wall Street Journal opinion: Race has no place in college admissions. Um, I'm going to assume this has to do with. Uh, uh, let me see this. It says here the U.S. Supreme Court will hear arguments on October 31st in Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard and Students for Fair Admissions versus. Uh, Wait a minute. Oh, this is a multi multi versus. So it's students for fair admissions um, versus Harvard and students and students for fair admissions versus um, University of North Carolina. Two vitally important cases. So, okay, it's two separate cases. Two vitally important cases that challenge the constitutionality of using 
a student's race and ethnicity as a factor in college admissions. If the Supreme Court forbids the use of race and ethnicity in college admissions, as it should, the opinion may begin the the opinion the opinion may begin the restoration of our nation's constitutional colorblind legal covenant. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna read. This. I'm gonna go through this a little bit more. Actually, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm just curious because I have I really have a strong opinion, and I'm I'm trying to breathe. You know, because stay still, right? It says both cases are legally and factually straightforward. In 2014, students for fair for fair admissions sued Harvard, the nation's oldest private university, and the University of North Carolina, the nation's oldest public university. The common element in each lawsuit is the claim that both schools racially gerrymandered their freshman classes by illegally raising the bar for certain racial and ethnic groups and lowering the bar for others. Students for fair admissions assert these practices are outside the narrow bounds the law allows for using race or ethnicity in college admissions. Moreover, moreover we have asked the court to overturn um, Grutter, 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 Grutter versus Bollinger, 2003, which permits institutions of higher education to use race and ethnicity as factors in admissions to obtain educational benefits that flow from diverse student body. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. You know, um, I, I I see where this is, this is going. Um, ah, that's this is a tough one. Because um, I know for a fact that I benefited from affirmative action, you know, when I when I when I uh, was admitted into college, and um, and what's interesting about that is, you know, um, I even know what it was until after I got into college. It was just interesting because again, it wasn't something that I had been familiar with. Um, and actually, yeah, it wasn't something I'm familiar with until somebody told me that my freshman, my freshman year at the University of Rochester, asked somebody who said to me, you know, doing it was a class, um, it was a political science class, it was a um, a something I think we were talking about Brown versus Board of Education, and I know civil rights was was, was kind of like the foundation of the conversation, and I don't remember, like I'll be honest with you, I don't remember how we got to this point. But the point was made about the university's use of use of um, affirmative action being unfair to white students and students who who didn't who weren't within the scope of you know um, populations who benefited from affirmative action. And I was like, "What is affirmative action?" And I'll be honest with you, I didn't, I had no clue. You know, mind you, I am West African, born born in Nigeria. You know, came to America, middle school, went to school, and in, in primarily. Um, um, uh, a a black suburb, you know, black and black and Latino suburb in um in in Los Angeles, and my world was not one that was overly tainted with with um disadvantage because of my skin tone, even though I knew it existed and I knew there was some place I couldn't go in Los Angeles without you know having to deal with that, but at least I knew within my schools, my neighborhood. My neighbors were black. We all lived in houses, and um, we you know we weren't we weren't in like South Central or like in some parts of like LA that was like crazy. You know, we were you know we 
had many good lawns and stuff like that. My parents were, we were not middle class, but we were definitely okay. So when I, when I got into college and I heard that conversation and I, I did, and I, and I was forced because I didn't know how to respond. I did my research and I was like, okay, so this thing happened. And I was like, how come I didn't know about this? But of course, it's lots, it's so much I don't know about. And, um, I, I was like, so am I only here because of, because I'm black? That I checked off the right boxes that I was a, a good Negro. You know, we want to get good Negroes here to, to paint the picture of diversity. And maybe that was the case. I don't know. Maybe that was the case. You know, I have a strong feeling that that was the case. That's my opinion. Um, but however, I know for a fact that I could compete with any other student in that university because of race. Yes, there's, there are certain things that maybe other students might be better than me than, and there are other places that I might be better than them, but it didn't change the fact that, that um, I have my 1300 SAT scores. It didn't change the fact that, um, that, uh, that I did the work. I did the work. And not only did I get into University of Rochester, I got into a slew of phenomenal schools. I had a couple of schools that admitted me on the spot. But then maybe maybe they admitted me because of my skin color. Maybe I was the ideal, or people, young, young people like me at the time were the ideal that they wanted in their school so that maybe I was, just, I was again, the safe Negro. I don't know. Maybe I do know. But now that I'm a, I am an educator, and I understand these tests and all these admissions practices and the disadvantages that certain kids have, you know, versus others and families and communities, there is no way possible that if those factors are not accounted for, that there is an even playing ground. And I'm not saying just give access to anybody, to anybody, but do a deeper a deeper dive to see whether or not there's a potential there for success. Because I'm telling you right now, when I was in college, there were some kids there. Listen, I don't know. I'm 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 completely out. Of, I'm I'm not even connected with this person anymore. It's been many many years. But I remember somebody on my hall, and Tiernan, okay, somebody on my hall whose parents were both physicians. You know, and they were from a certain upstate New York town. You know, both parents were, they practiced the type of medicine that makes you very, very wealthy. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're just you by yourself and you're a doctor of this particular field, you are very wealthy. And they were both, mom and dad were both in that, in that field of medicine. A lot of money. But this kid, I'm telling you right now, this kid, was um, a a box of shoes without shoestrings. Like you, can you imagine you going out to buy? You want to buy a pair of Jordans? You know, you you want to get like those 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 uh those uh fours. Those are fours. Those fives. It just came out. This the, the fives just came out this 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 past Saturday. And um, you, you buy the box and you get home and they're no shoe. They're not shoe. They're no shoelaces. This is this kid right here. Everything was beautiful. Everything made sense. But <laughs> something was missing there. And 
I even asked, like, how did you get into the school? Because he was not doing the work. He was struggling. Like, you know, all these kinds of crazy stuff. So my thing is just because of one race or whatever, of, of those advantages doesn't mean anything. You know, it doesn't. And, and again, I think there's a place to establish an equal, an equal playing, a playing field for young people trying to get into college. But if you remove that, and what you're going to do is um, you're going to create a space where there will be a vacuum. And it's not just about diversity. It's going to be a vacuum because of the fact that the practices that exist right now in education definitely creates two worlds or multiple worlds of haves and have-nots. I know this. I've worked in the system for 17 years. I've worked in buildings where there were very affluent kids and kids without, you know, access. You know, two different schools in the same building. And you're like, how is this possible? In the same building, at the same time, coexisting. And what one school has was was insane compared to what the other school has. And they were both public schools. The defining factor was one was majority white, the other one was, was majority um, black and brown. You know, so so when we're talking about when we talk about, you know, you know, getting rid of race based the question is let's define what it really is. Like why is it happening? Why does it need to happen? And um and yeah. But one of the things I'm gonna say is this, and we're gonna move on from this story. If people, if people are really fighting for this and they're saying this is, you know, they want to make it as fair as possible, you know, take remove that off the table, then are we going to do the same thing with, with athletics? I'm just saying. Because, um, um, let me see if I can find a story. The whole fiasco that's been happening with um, the coach of um, Alabama, what's his name? Where's my, where's my, oh, I'm like, where's my cursor at? I just want to make sure I, I say, his, say his name right. Um, coach of Alabama, Nick Saban, Nick Saban, Nick Saban, a man who coaches, he coaches, um, he coaches uh, college football. He coaches college football at Alabama. Hmm. Um, and um, hold up, Alabama. Uh, a, I just want to make sure. I'm just curious. Um, so he coaches at Alabama. This man, again, just to let just for you, so you know, because I was looking this up the other day, and I thought it was just insane. His eight-year contract as a football coach, and this is to me, this is dope. I wish I was a football coach. Is ninety-three point six million dollars, ninety-three point six million dollars as a college coach, you know. Um, and uh, good evening, my brother, brother Solomon. Good evening, good evening, good evening. And that thing that you asked me about, I am working on it. Promise you, I'm working on it, and. Uh, and uh, I hope to have some detailed uh, information for you very, very soon. But good evening. Hopefully you're doing well. And same thing to your family and your and your beautiful child. Um, so um, 
Nick Saban, $93.6 million coaching football. If you know anything about Alabama, powerhouse. They don't play. Okay, They do not play. They, they are a problem, period. They're part of that power five. I think, what is it? Um, I don't know. Let me see if I can, if I can name them. Like the, I, like they're, it's like LSU, Alabama, Notre Dame. Like they're like those, those schools, right? And, um, his beef right now is this because he's been known, him and a couple of other schools have been known to have these phenomenal freshman classes. What I mean by freshman classes, you know, recruiting some of the best athletes in the country, not even some of the best athletes. Keep going to these top schools. And that's why I keep winning, winning championships every year. Until Dion, primetime Sanders, coach primetime at Jackson State. You know, Hall of Famer. I think he has two, is it two Super Bowl rings? Um, am I wrong about that? Guys, forgive me. Listen, I, I, I'm just trying to make sure I'm, I'm not over here. Um, you know, uh, I wish I had I had an assistant who could make sure. Um, uh, let me see, Deion Sanders Super Bowl. So yes, he does have two Super Bowl rings. He's, um, I think they say he's the only NFL player, no, the only athlete to score a touchdown and hit a home run in the same day. He was a he was a major league, he was a major league baseball player, and um, a, a, a football player at the same two had two contracts. Okay, so now if you're following if you're following college football, Dion Primetime, uh, Neon Dion is the head coach of Jackson State, which is inarguably a small HBCU historically black college university in in Mississippi. You know. And um, since he's been there, that school has won the SWAC. And right now, I think they're still undefeated, I think, right now. Unless something happened this weekend. And he make sure Jackson State record. Um, what is it right now? Uh, expand the screen. How are they, how are they doing right now? Um, how come I'm not reading this right? University. Okay, this year. Thank you, Google. So right now. Okay, so yeah, so right now in the in SWAC, in the in the SWAC conference, they are they are eight and zero, eight and zero. Okay, they're undefeated. And they've had two winning seasons the first time in 60 years. And what did he do? He snatched up the number one player, what, <clears throat> two years ago? Snatched up the number one player. Um, uh, Hunter. I think Hunter is his last name. Uh, Travis Hunter. Yeah, Travis Hunter. The one player in the country, you know, decided to go to HBCU. And it's funny because they, they asked that. They asked Dion, like, how did you do it? I'm sorry, let me not say Dion, but that's disrespectful. I love the fact that he had to check a reporter who, who who said called him Dion. And he was like, You wouldn't call any of these other head coaches, you know, D, by their first name. You wanna you wanna you're not gonna call Nick Saban Nick, you know? So I'm gonna say Coach Primetime. Okay. 
So Coach Primetime said that here's this young black man, and they messed up when they, when they allowed him to come visit Jackson State during homecoming weekend. Oh, my Lord. Doing homecoming weekend. And listen, I did not attend the HBCU. Um, I was my first choice out of high school is Morehouse. And the problem with Morehouse is that financially speaking, I just couldn't afford it. And then a uh, PWI, University of Rochester, offered me a whole lot more money to attend there. And now I'm looking, I'm looking back, I'm like, whoa, okay. Ah, you know, diversity, right? So, um, but nonetheless, Nonetheless, I have been to uh, uh, quite a few probates in California at schools like Long Beach and Northridge that have a high population of black students, Dominguez Hills. I've been around that space where, where it's just us and the way we move and the energy and everything else um, is different. So I can only imagine what it's like when you're on a college campus and at Jackson State at their games, they're talking about a stadium for 60,000 people and this young man went there and he was being looked at and being you know um um being caressed and and being you know drooled over by the Notre Dames and the Alabamas and the Texans Texas A&Ms and all these schools and he went and saw his people and was like wait a minute I could play here and and really exercise my talent in this space. And it's what he did. It's what he did. And God knows it pissed off a lot of, um, of those power five schools, if not all of them. Like how the heck does the number one player in the country goes, go to Jackson State University? Where is that? I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of those coaches didn't even know where Jackson State was or even that even existed. And now all of a sudden, they have a problem. You know, those students that are of a hue that that some people are, are going to Supreme Court to fight about and saying, let's make this fair. Okay, is that, is that going to include that? But God knows there's a lot of students who are just phenomenal athletes that these colleges go after and promise them the world. Even if they're not, if they, even if they're not academic, academically ready to be successful in college. But their bodies are more important than their minds. Their ability to, to play basketball, football, baseball, whatever that sport is, is more important than the academic futures. So maybe I'm not making any sense, but if you're gonna if you're gonna press, if you're gonna press for this equity or this equality or this blind this blind space in college admissions, how I mean, is this gonna apply to, across the board? You know, and I don't think it will. I don't think it will because listen, Nick Saban is pissed. He's talking about how the the, the rules are being broken, and uh, kids are getting paid now, and all this other stuff, and the rules, the rules, the rules, the rules. You know, but the rules benefited you. It benefited the colleges to be able to get these black and brown bodies into these schools. You know, the NFL and NBA is majority men of color. And again, it's funny because I I uh I read um 
I, I, did I read or I think, no, I, I heard this and I had to read it up and read up on it. And it's something I never thought about. When you look at the, the major athletic, uh, athletic organizations in America, um, and I would say, let's say, let's say the top four, top four, let's say top four, team sports, top five, let's say top five, um, NFL, National Football League, NBA, National Basketball Association, Major League Baseball, um, the NHL National Hockey League, and the, um, the, what was it? Um, the soccer one, MLA, is it MLA? But you know what I'm talking about the 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 um the the National Soccer Soccer League. What's interesting is this: when you look at all those leagues, right? If you want to go play soccer right now, and you're you're a star, you're in high school, you can leave high school and go straight to Major League um, Soccer. Nothing's gonna stop you. Yeah, MLS, Major League Soccer. You can go straight. You can just go straight pro. I know. I know this. I have, I have a friend of mine who's a principal whose son is paying. He's paying. He's a pro right now. He's a pro. He's still, I mean, I don't think he's, he, he's hit 20 yet. But right out of high school, straight straight into professional soccer. Hockey, I see it all the time. These, like, ho- this hockey savants who are, like, 16, playing, playing like, in their, in their farm leagues, and they're 18, and, and they're they're straight up playing with grown men in the league, in, in the hockey league. Baseball is, is the worst. When I see these contracts, these 17, like, listen, 16-year-olds that are being pulled out of school and and they're playing as professionals in these farm teams, being developed, you know, getting contracts at 18, not playing a lick of, 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 of those sports in college, right? But again, think about those three sports that I just mentioned. The majority in those three sports are not African-American. They're not. Think about it. Am I wrong? Hockey, baseball. I mean, baseball has has a sizable population, but it's not the majority. And then Major League Soccer, right? Now, let's think about the two sports, the biggest money makers, that is also majority African-American, the National Football League and the NBA. And the rules say you have to have to play college or like I think in baseball, there is, there is a, there is a um, penalty of number of years that you will not be eligible for if you don't go to college. So a lot of players end up going to play international ball. You know, I think like the ball brothers, who is it? Um, LaMelo, one of the, one of the ball brothers or two of them played internationally to just bypass the whole college thing. You know, so much we get paid, play internationally, then go to the NBA. But again, why is it that the three, the two sports that has majority black men playing those two sports require that you go to college? The biggest money maker for college sports, to my understanding, is football, followed by basketball. You know, let's let's be honest here. When was the last time people said, "Yo, let's go watch a college a college baseball game"? Oh, you 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 is there? Are you watching like you know? Um, I don't know what what is it like? Um, August Madness, <laughs> like you know, like, there's no August Madness. You know, 
No, no one's, no one, nobody's talking about like, yo, you, did you watch UCLA play, UCLA play Notre Dame last night in the hockey game? Never, never heard that. Mainly and soccer, same thing. Like, let's be, I dare you to name at least five soccer and major league soccer teams. But we all know football. And we know people who are equally excited about college football as they are about their professional um, football. Simply with NBA, college, March, uh, March Madness, the Final Four, all that. It's crazy. People lose their minds. As much as they, you know, those kids are just as much as superstars in college as they are in the NBA. Simply with the NFL. But the majority of them are what? Are black. So, I say, I was to say, Nick Saban, uh, what, what, what a minute, let me put this up again. How much is that salary looking like? He got an eight-year contract for $93.6 million. There's some colleges, some small colleges that their endowment is not even up to that much. But who's he coaching? Black boys. What does he do? He makes sure his 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 uh, his um, um, what do you call them? Not not recruiters. His scouts are out there find the best, the best athletes to play football and to play. You know, and 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 these athletes are black, and they offer them the world. And you've heard stories about athletes who were didn't have who barely passed the SATs, who could barely read. But no, 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 we're gonna give you remediation, we're gonna give you everything you need. And how many of them actually graduate from college? How many how many of them get hurt and it's over? How many of them actually graduate? How many how many of them stay for all four years to get that degree? And for those who who who's who who are leaving as soon as they're they're eligible to go to the NFL for the two years that they're in college, they made they, they're making these these schools a lot of money because how else is Alabama have able to pay ninety three point six million dollars to the coach? That's NFL contract for a phenomenal player. That's not a contract for for I'm just I'm just coming to the league. No, this is a for a phenomenal player. So again, if if we're going to get rid of, rid of um, and say race has no place in college admissions, then could we could we could we not be mad? You know, for Nick and all those other coaches who who are freaking out right now because they're like, wait a minute, if what Dion just did is is turn the heads of young black athletes to say, wait a minute, do I have to be go to a PWI? And PWI meaning primarily white institution. Do I have to go there? Or can I just go to Morehouse? Like, listen, it's, it's to the point, listen, the media, media, media don't play. The media does not play because this year, now they're starting to air more and more black games because you know why? There's attention there. The media is going to move to where the attention is. I don't remember the last time I turned on ESPN or any, or whatever, and they were talking about, what, HBCU football? I think they just like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, they aired Howard versus Harvard. Howard, that's considered the Harvard of HBCUs, faced off against Harvard University in football. Harvard won, Harvard won but still, you know, um, 
Coach Primetime, because again, I'm not going to call him Dion. Coach Primetime said that the one thing that's missing, you know, for his team to face off against like an Alabama is being able to get the, the, the thickness on the line, the line of scrimmage, those linemen. You know, because again, these big these these schools that have the money are able to afford and pull in, you know, like these athletes that are phenomenal, you know. So now, now you're able to do that. You're able to get these top level athletes. Guess what? You could build, um, you could build um, dynasties. Now the fear is, what happens when those guys start saying, "Wait a minute, I want to go play for Coach Primetime. I want to go play at Morehouse or Howard." I want to go where the light is, where the shine is, and where I can feel at home and not have to worry about race playing, being a factor in my existence on a college campus where I can breathe and be still and be successful and, and learn and not feel like I'm constantly, you know, a product. And let's be honest here, that's what happens. You know, I played a little football in college. It was Division Three. I was young. But I always wondered the whole time I was there, what would have happened if I had gone to Morehouse instead? I would have had, I would have had to walk on. I was 16 when I graduated I was when I graduated from high school. So I would have had to walk on and try my skill set against these grown men. But I think I would have had a different experience than I did at, at the University of Rochester. It was different. It was very, very different. So, but yeah, it is 11.01 and I thought I was going to be able to get through a few more news stories, but this is what I do here. You know, if I find a topic that I feel like it's worth talking about or going deeper into, then I'll do that. And uh, earlier I spoke about, you know, self-care, being mindful, those breaths, you know, taking care of yourself and not allowing and using the using breathing and focusing on your breathing as a way to temper you down and allow for you to not get caught up in the stresses of the of the world, um, at least not to, not to drown in them. That's the better way because you're always going to be caught up in stress and the nonsense and the BS of life. But you have to have the space to breathe and center yourself, you know. And then we got into a new story about race has race. Uh, this this Wall Street Journal. Um, story about race has no place. It's an opinion piece, has no place in, co- in college admissions. And there's this, uh, it says here that on tomorrow, actually, October 31st, the students for fair admissions versus Harvard and students for fair admissions against versus um, University of North Carolina. And the argument is going to be the constitutionality of um, using students' race and ethnicity as a factor in college admissions. And, um, and my argument is that, yes, I see the argument on that side, but can we also talk about how much of a factor race is in the admissions of our college athletes and on why certain schools are getting pissed because now they're afraid that those athletes are not going to choose Alabama. They're not going to choose Texas A&M. They're not going to choose Notre Dame. They're not going to choose USC. They're going to say, listen, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go to Howard. I'm going to go to Morehouse. I'm going to go to Fisk. I'm going to go to Jackson State. I'm going to go to... Uh, Bethune Cook, I'm going to go to all these different spaces where I can move and know I'm surrounded by love and um, 
and and feel safe. Yeah, really feel safe. And that's what I've heard from a lot of people that I know who um, start off at PWIs and end up at HBCUs. They said once they moved to HBCU, they just felt safer. Safer intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. They just felt safer. And they were able to thrive in those spaces. So that's my piece for tonight. Thank you so much. Do me a favor. If you made it all the way through, please subscribe, like, share. Um, regardless of what platform you're doing this from, if you're on Twitter, I appreciate you. You know, And also share this. Share this with your peoples. You know, I, My goal is to get to a place where we have a critical mass of people so we can really build this. I'm committed to this space, and I'm going to be here every Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday at 10 p.m. With Wednesday, me being here with my boy and my, my partner, Archie Tyson, you know, for the um, Ivy League Hood Rats. Yes, we were both attending Columbia University for our master's program. He's there finishing his doctorates. And, um, you know, people still scratch their heads and say, wait a minute, you went to where? You went to Columbia? Hmm. Was it race-based admissions? I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. But again, thank you so much for being here this evening. Be well. Have an amazing, amazing week. And I'll talk to you all soon, all right? Peace. And now he's been promoted. His job, principal.